CHP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. Hello, you golfing legends, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the original Off Course. I'm your host, Dan Edwards, and joining me this week is Mr. Ryan Hawk of THP Writing Fame. How are you, Ryan? I'm good, Dan. How are you? Uh, it feels really awkward to call you Ryan. It's just not the identity I have for you. <laughs> and, uh, no, I get that. Back in the in the past, um, people would talk about internet hawk and real life hawk, um, the, the stark difference between the two. Um, but yeah, it, I can go by. In THP world, I'm almost always called hawk for whatever reason. Wasn't your original moniker like r hawk or something like that uh, it was i, I want to say like r hawk 308 which was kind of a play off of an email address or my okay. email address um but you know just like it's uh it's so common for people to go to a uh an event or meet up with people um and play golf you just end up taking a different name over time, you know? <laughs> well, I, I go by Canadan in, in just about every sect of my life, having moved to the U.S., what, 22 years ago now? 23 years ago? And it's funny that the, the number of people who call me Dan is pretty pretty low. Is that um, right? Yeah, even I've done trips to Cali. We were just out in... Um, uh hanging out with Callaway doing the paradigm launch and yeah. the number of guys from Callaway who call me Canadan instead of Dan it's, it's you know it's pretty funny it it's it's funny how those things carry with you and I feel like I feel like everyone gets a bit of a sense of that now being that the Twitter and Instagram thing and um not I, I don't I wonder what percentage of people would go with their actual name versus something of a moniker you know well and you were a lucky one because you and and I think people maybe if uh, they should teach it in school uh, for kids to think a little bit about what name they're going to choose as their online kind of persona, because you picked a good one to start, you know, and then you get like the numbers guy, like I was a numbers guy and just some essentially just a busted up email address. Um, and, and nobody can really identify very well. If you do, yeah. You know? <laughs> so I remember way back in the day, this is going way back uh, when I was like, you know, early teen, maybe even when I was like 12 or something, we went to laser tag and, uh -huh. and there was some cartoon at the time. And the nickname the guy gave himself was toe jam. So like four of my friends all wanted to be named toe jam on the, <laughs> on the laser tag. And I always remember that, like, man, is that really what I want to be recognized as? So it got a little bit better. I, I had some fun with some hockey variants and I think actually, I had originally had like a conglomeration of the Columbus Blue Jackets as my screen name. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, 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 let's go as Canada. And, and, you know, obviously it's stuck and, and fully ran with it, but I don't even know what a Columbus Blue Jacket is to be honest. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, let's go. But I want to talk about that Callaway trip a little bit, just from a slightly different perspective. Cause I know you guys went out and covered the equipment. Um, what was the, uh, what was the, uh, like the feel of that? that event like kind of the vibe because it seemed to me like every kind of moderately famous golf personality that exists was there but, you know maybe barring some of the people from across um you know across the world but it, it seemed like there was just like this very unique mix of humans there yeah they made a point of saying that the collection of people they brought together was associated with those who spend a lot of time celebrating the brand and sort of championing it. Mm -hmm. and that includes your social social media type folks your influencers uh folks like us from thp who organize and produce and provide uh, a location for people to talk about the kind of equipment as well as having full-on reviews on the homepage. Mm -hmm. they, there was this understanding that there was this uh massive collection of people who genuinely um had an impact on the brand from a visual standpoint um, on the different elements of social media. They even mentioned something like the combined total followers was like 400 million on socials from everyone wow. that was there. Um, and dude, it was crazy. Like the, the idea, the construction, everything made a ton of sense. Uh, having it at Top Golf was super cool because there's so many bays, so much 
where people can go to. Yeah. Um, for the first time in probably a billion years, it rained in California. So they had to modify their plans a little bit. There was like a, there's a, uh, nine hole par three course that we could have played with the equipment that unfortunately weren't able to that, um, opportunity kind of died with every time, every 20 minutes it would start sprinkling again. And there's like an outside stage all set up. Uh, but they made do with what they had and it was great. The tour van was there. We got to check out, uh, Toronto is in there showing off his wedges. Roger MF Cleveland was hanging out in the yeah, I saw I saw a picture of him, I think. Yeah. Um and then obviously they had some big signings with uh from the influencer side, from the YouTube side. They got the good good boys there uh doing their thing. They had um some professionals there, uh long drive, LPGA representation, uh watching him swing Borgmeyer was uh terrifying. If it wasn't, uh, yeah, unbelievable. He's, he's interesting to watch, isn't he? Well, I, I took a video of his swing and I tried to attempted to put it up on the forum when we have limitations on the size of videos. Yeah. Um, and Morgan had meant golfer gal had mentioned that, uh, we do have limitations. So I was able to trim it down to two seconds and I, I don't think there are enough gigabytes to represent just how powerful that swing <laughs> is. Like it, it was crazy. Um, you know, seeing that firsthand is always interesting, right? Because you you watch golf on TV, you watch the long drive, and you can tell the long drive guys are giving it everything. Mm-hmm. But to see that, like, it, it just doesn't translate for me on TV as it does in person. Sure. You it's know? like seeing a football player uh, for the first time in real life. You know, they're always yeah. so much huge or a bit larger than um, than they seem on, on TV. What I was thinking of, and, and I know you've already mocked hockey once in this episode, but um you you watch hockey from the the very tippity top of the stadium or even football from the top of the stadium it's you know a little bit slower it's not as violent if you will then you go down to like ice level or field level and you watch these guys run around with the speed they have and the physicality that's presented it's just it's mind numbing how incredible it is and i think that golf swings are they're so efficient. The, the the requirement of efficiency in a golf swing um, needs a little bit of almost poetry in the swing. Yeah, right. Uh, but then you watch a guy like that who's isolating every single muscle at the right time, and you can tell there's just just dirty violence going on. All right, violence. Yeah, it's I have none it's of wicked. that in my swing. No violence. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe, um, but not in a productive way. It's unproductive well, violence. You know, it is kind of funny because the there was LPGA presence as well. One of the top amateurs and, and she was swinging and had an incredible golf swing. And, and it was kind of like right in between when long drive was going. So it was, you know, watching the two, you can tell they're both efficient in their own ways. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's a pretty big difference between a guy swinging the way he was and the way she was swinging just perfection all the way through. Um, man, that was, that was wild to see, but, but everything was so confined, right. That eventually we made our way up to the second level, uh, in order for myself and James to, to hit a bunch of product, which we had talked about a little bit last week. And that, that was always my goal is I, I want to be able to better understand the product so I can sort of celebrate it and discuss the differences based on what I have seen. Yeah. And, um, uh, fortunately i think 90 percent of the people there didn't get the memo that we had two levels <laughs> oh <laughs> so was, really yeah it was actually pretty chill on the second floor and then we went back down the first floor for like the fitting and and experiencing some of the things they had set up and uh yeah it was it was back to chaos so <laughs> you know it was, it was i cool. think you bring up a good point uh, about events like that and in that kind of the the natural byproduct of a of these huge events is that there are people like you and like James and, and any number of other people across, um, you know, uh, the internet now that can actually just talk about the product and not only can they talk about it. I mean, it's an exciting thing that what you guys did, right? So now like not only can you, but you're excited to talk about it. And, um, I love that type of thing. We've had a lot of discussions, um, kind of, uh, behind the scenes lately um, from a, a writer standpoint, just the differences between companies and how they launch things and, and what they get out of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times readers don't understand 
how can I put this? A lot of times readers will confuse the fact that we talk about certain things that we know a lot about, maybe that we're excited about because we are so close to them versus things that we don't talk about as much because we just haven't really been exposed to them on that same level. Kind of dealt with that last week with the ping release a little bit. Um, in the sense that, you know, I felt really just like I didn't know enough about that product to, to, to really speak on it authoritatively, kind of like you were able to do going out. Yeah. I think one of the big components of that, everyone right now, and I'm very, very, um, what's the word? I'm, I'm impacted heavily by the way a product sounds. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I can hit pretty much anything. I'm not worried about, you know, people talking about Cas V Forge and all that nonsense, which I don't really buy into. Mm -hmm. um, but when you, when you get to start talking about something like sound, uh, I, I become very passionate about the, the type of sound I want my product to make that I'm playing in my, in my bag. And, and when it comes to, we've done a lot of reviews on the YouTube channel for THP and I, I think that's one of my favorite things to talk about because while it is personal, it's really easy to explain. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the ability to go out there, they have this crazy new technology where they fully wrapped a head in, in carbon fiber uh, or carbon and then have like totally disconnected outer portions. So it's like, you know, surely you've caught, it costs you on the sound, uh, but then you go get to hit it and you, it sort of validates for you. Uh, sensitive. That's what I'm trying. I'm very sensitive to sound in my bag. Um, so when I go and hit it and it sounds wicked, it's like, all right, you guys have not only, not only is it sound good, you guys have something to look forward to when you go hit it. So that's, right. you know, it gives you a chance to get excited about something. And I want to circle this back to you because we right. are heavily into release season now. Sure. Um, which means you have uh, selflessly brought yourself back into the review world uh and, yeah. and preview world uh and thank you for that i'm sure james and dean are, are incredibly appreciative of that yeah but, i wonder um, sometimes i, I yeah. hope they are um, <laughs> no that they, they are for sure but then that that brings into the question of or the experience of i suppose mm -hmm. you can read as much as you want and and i want to circle this into another conversation as well but it, it's one thing to see it and learn about it and understand the technology, but it's another thing entirely to actually hit it. Yeah. So uh, maybe f just leading this discussion is what is the difference? What's the unique experience for you between review and preview and how validating is it for you to put the time into that preview and then go hit it for yourself and say, yeah, okay, that really is pretty killer. Yeah. So I think, um, I, the product releases and the preview articles have really evolved over time. Uh, there was a time where it was really much more, um, uh, I guess, press release based. And then we get the product in shortly afterwards and then things would really kick off from the writer's standpoint. Now, um, just with the amount of things that uh, Josh and Morgan both have going on, um, you know, they need, they need people to, to, provide these um these release articles and and they've improved dramatically over over the years it's one of the hardest things there is to write is, is a release article for something that you've never seen because you may get like a short you know one page press release you may get two hours worth of material that you need to research, you know, you just never really know what you're going to get. But if you don't have a lot of information, you really have to search for a way to provide something compelling. And if you do get a lot of information, you have to invest a ton of time into, you know, really digesting it and researching it. Um, I, I always, I actually, from both the perspective of writing about a, uh, a release before I've seen it and, after I get a product in hand, I've always looked for, you know, what's the story? Like, what is this product's story? So I'll just give an example of um, Dynapower that came up um, or came out earlier this week, Wilson's Dynapower um, release. And to me, that was really interesting. Number one, I love history. I love nostalgia, right? And 
before I had seen any of the product on paper, um, I just had all these wonderful ideas about like what they may be doing with this, you know, because I, I think that for them to be able to be at all relevant today is, is a, quite a victory when you look at some of the other um, companies of that time, you know, that era. And then for them to be able to draw on that and maybe kind of capture our imagination again is, is pretty cool. Um, you know, so to me, that story was that lineage. So then I go back and I just research the hell out of Dynapower, right? And so out of that, I kind of gained a, a bigger understanding about what the product was in the past and um, maybe how that ties in today. On the flip side, I always look at product reviews on course as what was the story of what what did what story did the club create for me today right so I, I did a lot of wedge testing earlier in the year for edison wedges it was kind of my introduction back into actually having products in my hand and you know every day the round told this that told the story for me so maybe that day um I short-sighted myself a few times and was able to like see the performance of the club in a you know in a situation where I had to hit it high and soft with a lot of spin. Great. Or maybe um, I was really bad off the tee and I was hacking out of you know the fescue and things like that. So um, I think sometimes you just have to go with it. A lot of times readers want instant kind of objective opinions on things and i can tell you right now i i can usually guess if i'm gonna like something for my own sake but i it takes me a while to really get the full feeling of uh, any club minus a couple like rare ones yeah and and the job as a reviewer is effectively to paint as broad of a stroke as you possibly can mm -hmm. and not isolate it to yourself which uh, unfortunately many many YouTubers don't seem to subscribe to that logic and it creates some sort of false narrative about the, the overall experience of the product, which could work beautifully for someone who's uh, uh, unlike you and your swing speed skill, et cetera, et cetera. Just preference. I mean, just yeah, preference too, yeah. don't mind looking at things that others do. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I'll give you a, a good example of that from, years ago, Callaway came out with a, the Big Bertha, I don't know, they were kind of like hybrid irons, you know, the real, at the time, hollow bodies were really ugly, right, and huge, and um, I mean, they sounded awful, they hit the ball pretty far, um, but, you know, I never, ever had any interest in those, but at the same time, there are people that really did have an interest in those, and, and maybe they'd help out their game. So you do have to look at it from that perspective as well. Usually we do a pretty good job of not sticking um, a certain writer with the wrong club, right? Yeah. And, you know, give James the, the uh, blade irons. Well, I guess, I guess Dean has done some blade iron reviews too, but um, you know, one of the worst products I ever tested was the TaylorMade uh, SLDR back in the day <laughs> and um you know that was an awful club for me just horrific the, the first day i went i was super excited when that showed up too but uh, well, that i mean that that was back in the day when companies were making huge huge concessions to win uh, the distance battle right like i think back um that was back when what did ping have the the not the original g it was something before that oh man they had the k series no, it's going to drive me nuts, but they had one product and I actually watched a, a guy who went from a very forgiving head to this ping head and he could not make the ball spin like he was already a low spin guy and it was a very low spin head. But then I put it in my hands. I'm like, I love this thing because <laughs> it, yeah. it just murdered spin. It's going to drive me nuts that I can't think of this, uh, this driver head. But oh, uh, that was... Uh, I think, you know, looking from a much uh, higher level view, it's nice to see that companies have the freedom now to draw a couple things together, where it's whether it's forgiveness and distance, uh, mm -hmm. power. That's something that they weren't able to do 
back then. And oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's nice that uh, we can we can bring the two together and marry them up rather than require two different, totally different style of heads each year to accommodate that. Right. Yeah. And if you, you know, as much as I just kind of malign SLDR there, in reality, SLDR sort of was one of the first forward low CG golf clubs to create that low spin that now really pretty much every every company has something similar you know to that that concept in their stable much more refined than that one was that was like kind of like you're just bare bones um in your face if you can't hit the center um you know go to hell but if you can you're gonna really (laughs) really enjoy this product for the record, I love the SLDR in 430. And the ping I was trying to think of was the answer. It was like the very first super duper low spin head they brought out. I I had never even heard of that. As crazy <laughs> it, as that sounds. Uh, yeah, it basically like he would hit it and it would just plummet because the spin was not being generated enough to maintain height. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would hit it as a higher spin guy. You know, I've always been a little bit higher spin and it would just like load perfectly. And I'm like, I don't know what your problem is, buddy. You're obviously broken. This is this is a great driver. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing, isn't it, though? Because you, you have that experience, um, you know, that personal experience with that. And then you, maybe somebody says, you know, um, that the exact opposite. And, and sometimes it is hard to relate. And that was something I was going to bring up that you and I were chatting about a little bit. But um there's always this uh this no matter who what you review what product where um, whether you get paid for it or not there's always a perception of bias from people who review clubs always right let's let's expand that i mean it doesn't necessarily like i i I want you to continue but i want to make a point in saying it's not even simply just the reviewer like on thb we have thousands of equipment threads that Mm -hmm. reference thousands of products over the course of the lifespan of the website and every single person or sorry, every single one of those, it seems like has one person that comes in who loves it, probably hasn't hit it. Uh, one who loves it and has hit it. One who hates it and will never hit it. And one who wanted to love it, but hated it. You know, like there's yeah, yeah. the perceived bias is like preset and they always find something. We, we had a, um, we had a, thread go up a conversation go up last week on a new product and i won't even i won't even flag what product it was but it was like within five posts it was comparing it to other products it was talking about all these other things that had absolutely nothing to do with and this was a this was a release article it wasn't a review it was a conversation like hey here's a new product coming and then like instantly goes into the same debate like a carryover debate from their last release cycle comparing it to other heads or doing whatever. It's just, it's crazy, man, how biased people get. Well, and I think that was kind of where I was going. I, okay. I think that probably the most biased person is often the reader and the commenter, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, truly. I mean, it, and I think that I, I don't, maybe people understand this, maybe people don't, but you know, I have no personal investment in any company, right? I have, I have preferences. I, there are companies just like every other person out there. If like, I look at like a Strix on iron, I'm always going to think that's a beautiful iron. Right. But in the end, at the, the amount of equipment that we see and all that, you, you just learn to just kind of see it for what it is and, and just tell your opinion, whether people agree with it or not. Now, the flip side of that, a lot of times, and it's not every reader, and in fact, I wouldn't even say it's the majority, but we do have a lot of readers that are very invested in, uh, in a company and a product line, whether that's um, just something that they've, they've always loved it, maybe their dad loved it. Um, some people build identities around what they like. I mean, it's, it's the truth. Um, so a lot of times we'll, we'll kind of get into these conversations and the word bias comes up and I, and like I said, sometimes I, I think that that's going to be your most biased person is the defender, right? Yeah. Well, there's, I, it is interesting how people feel like they need to defend a company. Yes. It's like, look, man, they may, they pay a lot of money to do a lot of cool stuff, 
and they I don't really think they need you to defend them. But you know that that is a part of what one of my favorite things about building a bag is is that intentional bias that people have. Mm-hmm. You know, like for example, I th- we had a conversation at one point. Like, does it matter what your bag says? You know, should your bag relate to? And I'll give you a good example. One of the best bags ever made is the Ping Huffer, right? Mm-hmm. No one's no one's going to debate that. It's it's right. been around for forever. Now, are there better bags now? Sure, probably, but you know, it has a storied history of being a spectacular product, um, and that's carried. But then you have people who say, "I don't want anything to do with Ping." So when it comes to a bag, Hofer's off the table because I, I just don't want that branding mm-hmm. on on anything that uh, I take to the golf course. You know that that idea that. And and I, and I part of it part of me loves it. This is a conversation I end up having about some of these DTC brands or some of these more, um, what's the word, uppity brands? I guess the ones that like don't interact. Why would you ever invest your time or money into a brand that doesn't care about you when you have six that are lined up who invest time in your community, in your experience, in your daily life to be a part of it? Yeah, I, I agree with that. There's no uh, there's no doubt. Um, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Have you ever spite bagged a club? <laughs> and let me explain. Bag? Yeah, I want to hear it. <laughs> let me explain. So, like, there's, you know, there's, and it changes all the time. Josh will talk about this on the uh, Worst Golf Cut podcast. You know, like, we've been accused of being biased towards every company, truly. I mean, every company. Um so there have been times i'll fully admit it where i um will bag a club sometimes for six months or a whole season just out of spite so i can say no i'm not biased against this company yeah oh well (laughs) so i have like a three or four release bias against ping at this point from their drivers um Mm -hmm. i won't speak of their irons Uh, willingly openly suggesting that the style of my swing doesn't really align with their irons so i can't give a fair perspective i just feel like it's built for a different style of swing than mine mm-hmm. um but i was really critical of the sound of their one of their last driver releases and and again i'm incredibly sensitive to driver sound if it doesn't sound good to my ear it's probably either going to get hot melted or ignored mm-hmm. um and there's this there's this perspective that i have this massive bias against ping when in reality, I want, I loved the, uh, was it the G30? I had the LS in that and the stretch fairway. And I love them. They were the straightest driver I've ever hit in my life. Now, mm-hmm. if, if my path got weird, they went straight in one direction, regardless of whether that's straight or right or left. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I thought they were really onto something. I thought, uh, what was that? 400 was a spectacular product. And then their sound just went in a different direction that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So, I, I like secretly, I've been waiting to go hit one of their releases that sounds like really appealing to my ear because I would love to put that in the bag and just like, well, but I think at that point, I feel like people get so invested in thinking you're opposed to a brand Mm -hmm. that they would assume you're doing that out of spite. Right. And maybe it's just my persona on the, the community, but I feel like that's what would happen for me. Maybe. It's possible. It, you could just fully admit it. I'm going to spite. I'm going to spite bag this too. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever. It's we are who we are. Is the, each company goes in different styles and different directions with their with their um, how they modify a product going year to year, and and it's hard to be extremely honest, but then be willing to try again. So I'll give you a really nice example from my perspective. Uh, Cleveland has historically made a spectacular wedge. I think collectively we would all agree that the, the history there is quite strong. Sure. Um, and they had made a wedge. I want to say it was like Rotex, like maybe 2.0 or something like that. And I, man, I gamed them for an entire year and it didn't matter what happened. If I put a different wedge in my hand the same day, hit it perfectly right down the middle I just could not square up this head. I think it had something to do with like where the CG was mm-hmm. and, and how it was designed. I mean, Adele has proven pretty clearly that that has a deep impact on sure. quality of your shot, like as you modify where the weight is. So, so then they go to the next release, um, and I didn't really give it a chance, and I was mad about it. So then 
when RTX 4 came out, uh, I hit it and it ended up being my favorite wedge by far of the entire year. Mm -hmm. and, and it was like the perfect style for my swing. And, and there was some clear adjustments made to the CG for that setup. And, and I think, I wonder if some of this inherent bias is based on a bad experience that people have had, maybe not necessarily what they read, but what they experienced themselves or adversely that their favorite product, you know, same kind of, same mm -hmm. kind of thing. If they hate one product, they love another, you know, where their bias will lie. Whereas I wonder if these people, and I, I know you were about to say something, so sorry about that, but I wanted to finish that thought. I wonder if these people who have this genuine bias are willing to look at the products that didn't work their next release, you know, because th there is a really good chance just based on my personal experience that each release cycle has a potential to be the perfect fitting club for your bag. Yeah, absolutely. And not even just um, next release cycle. It might just be a different option in a line. Um, a good example. Um, I reviewed a set of Mizuno irons probably back in 2014. And, you know, from a reviewer's perspective, almost universally, if you have a set of, of Mizuno irons coming, like you're super pumped. Okay. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> yeah. they just, they look great. They True. always, they always, um, they always look great. Typically feel really good. Um, there was something wrong with this set of irons. There just was, uh, the, the way that the CG was built into them, they launched really high. They spun a lot and they had really low ball speed. And it wasn't just rel it wasn't just, you know, oh, it's because of traditional lofts. It was relative to other traditionally lofted or similarly lofted irons at the time. They just, they were just funky. And um, I caught a lot of, a lot of crap for that, just saying it. Um, but over time, other people actually tried them out and surprise, surprise, other people notice the same thing. Uh, but that being said, Later that year, Mizuno was sending out their next set of irons, and I was super pumped for those. And this this one, you know, this set turned out really nice. And I mean, I've coveted, I, I'm coveting Mizuno irons right now. So it it can be a it can be a generational thing, um, kind of like the SLDR thing was, because at that time that was a kind of an all in generational thing on their metal woods, but, or, you know, in a company like Mizuno, it might just be a different set of irons. Um, it, it's also exploratory, right? I'm right. assuming you're talking about the JPX at the time. I think that was like easy no, or something like that. No, huh? no, these really? were MP. Yeah. These were MP irons. Um, they were cavity. Yeah. They were cavity back. Cause I remember when they were exploring that JPX line and trying to find, trying to mirror the right construction while still respecting the Mizuno um like loft structure and they yeah. they didn't quite get to the point where they had put the lofts in the right place i think mm -hmm. james might have reviewed one um and, and and i think we all need to understand that these these companies when they're when they're bending the edge of what's possible of course they're gonna miss once or twice like oh, let's yeah, be honest absolutely. man like that's kind of the goal is and 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 i think they recognize that and and either double down on what does work or find ways to engage it and jpx has obviously gone on to become a spectacular product uh, i i put the forge in for quite a while in the 921 uh lots of thpers are already talking about 923 that looks absolutely insane so yeah i mean those 923s are i mean those is are that amazing. what is that what you're coveting or something different yeah the the hot metals from last yeah. year or from yeah. late last year those are those are um special looking golf clubs aren't they <laughs> so you know but that I, I i hope that i guess maybe some of that discussion sort of clarifies um from a listener's perspective um, that in the end uh, not everything is always going to be great it might be the the brand that you like that um uh, sometimes i say isn't great at that particular moment in time and in your point about them missing sometimes is is a hundred percent spot on companies do miss there was a thread um on the thp forums last week and it was sort of like um, one of those and you see it every now and then like the does it really matter what you play thread um every company's putting out good stuff type of thread so does it really matter what you pick and and to an extent you know in, in general the answer is 
sort of no, in the sense that yes, most companies are putting out good stuff. However, sometimes they do miss. Sometimes they might have a product that just is a really bad fit for you. So you, you can't just sort of blindly say everything's um, always perfect. So yeah, and and to your point, you say the company missed, but did they miss everyone or did they miss your swing? Right? Because, yeah. Right. 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 You know, for me. SLDR was spectacular. So adding spin to SLDR yeah. to me is missing, right? Because I yeah. loved it. And I, I lived on, I'll never forget my experiences with SLDR. I lived high toe, which was like the absolute spin killer. So I'm like low two thousands in the high toe, maybe even high, uh, like 1900. I'm yeah. like, and this is like a godsend for me. This yeah. is not familiar territory. Cause I'm used to like that arcing flip and then drop sure. down at whatever it is so now i'm like achieving beyond and then they're like okay well maybe we went a little far on that so we're going to dial it back for this next release i'm like no 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 no, no. we're fine let's stick with it <laughs> yeah that, no i i get that i really do and um i think i think where my perception of them missing there wasn't so much the that they went ultra low spin i think it was more that they that they killed um that they killed off-center misses so badly for a yeah. lot of people now in your case no that if you're missing high toe and still in the 2000s that's right a, that's a great golf club now for me i'd probably on that club be in you know 13 1400 range yeah. and it'd be but, kind of that massive dive bomber to the left yeah. and that's a pretty common experience i think for for people up in that um that range of the right pace too you know? and and that's what i'm saying it's a miss if they change that for you but it's it's or it's a miss if they change that for me because I love that product. Mm -hmm. It's it's a gain if they change it for you because that's death up there for most golfers yeah. who don't suffer from high spin, which is something I always have played a little bit higher spin. So you know that my my comment there was just more more about how we each uniquely see products as a hit or a miss, but yeah. every yeah. once in a while there's that collective perspective, and it, I I always think back to some of the exploratory stuff like remember when Taylor may brought out the burner 2.0s and they were lauded as like one of the greatest irons of all time. Yeah. And, yeah. and like everyone had to have them in the bag. I put them in the bag and I couldn't figure out why I was hitting the six iron 240 yards every <laughs> six shot. And it's like, okay, maybe yeah. these might not be for me, but I get why everyone loves them. Cause the, all the other shots are going like, you know, 185, 190. And then this one goes 240. I'm like, hold on a second. That's when you get the driver launch conditions. You, yeah. You, you get that. Um, down like you know 14 <laughs> launch 3000 rpms a spin at 100, right. 140 mile per hour ball speed <laughs> yeah so i do i am curious um if you had a chance to look over it what what was your thought on what wilson did with the um dyna power line yeah I, I really want to hold my tongue on that one for a little bit here brian i th i think i first of all i'm going i'd love to have you back on the show mm -hmm. um in a little bit because we can explore some other things, but um, I want to give Wilson an opportunity. My, my current perspective on Wilson is, is not particularly positive. Mm -hmm. So I want to provide them an opportunity to uh, get some product in people's hands and let them hit it and have a discussion about it. I, I'd really like to, to gain some more knowledge before I really slam down a perspective on it. Um, when I think about some of the releases that I used to love from Wilson, like the, um, the V6 tours, the, the irons, which I think mm -hmm. were, you know, unbelievable at the time. And I, I just don't understand a company that has the kind of success they do outside of golf, how things have go, could have gone so sour. I mean, the Wilson staff was a brand that's, I remember specifically Wilson staff as a child. So the idea that, you know, 30 years have passed and they haven't sort of moved up the curve. And in fact, they've, fallen off the curve mm -hmm. to me is problematic and, and I'm, I'm happy to give you an opportunity to speak on it more um but for me personally i'd like to maintain i'd like to to hold off my full perspective on it for now i think that's fair it, and i i mentioned this on the thp forums too you know that that was the wilson staff is the first set of irons i bought and i'm a notorious cheapskate so that's really why <laughs> um the first set of irons that like I totally fell in love with with F FG Forged V2. Um, I always have had, I guess, and back to that word again, right? I've had some personal bias towards Wilson, right? I've always kind of given them the benefit of the doubt on a lot of things. 
Um, yet at the same time, see a lot. Of, I, I'm not blind. Obviously, I see a lot of the same things that you do too. Um, and when I was researching for this Dynapower article, I just saw a lot of glaring sort of opposites, right? You know, like the, um, that were hard for me to, I guess, uh, rectify in my own head. But I'm, I'm actually, I should have the driver here tomorrow. Hopefully, if we can get together here for too deep into spring, I'll you get a chance to hit it too. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a great fit for me. It probably won't, but um, more than anything, I, I think that they need to provide something in, in the woods category that just feels and looks like it's high end. So it'll be interesting. How about something that person. feels like it fits in, right? You know, I look yeah. at Wilson at this point, it's like, is it a box set brand? I don't, I don't really understand what their identity is. Um, and part of that, I think, is telling the story, right? Like I had Josh on a couple of weeks ago. We talked about marketing uh, and how impactful that can be. Um, and, and I think about that a lot. Like the the release schedule for golf is so fascinating because you have that exposure on the conforming list, which I find incredibly annoying. Yeah, it's um, terrible. But then you have a combination of release and marketing that goes out at the same time. And then you have the execution, which would be the experience between reviewers and the time where golfers can actually get out and hit it. Mm -hmm. And if, if golfers are not hyped up about a product by the time it gets to that fourth segment, then what are what is the company doing? You know, I'll yeah. give you another example on that. James wrote a great article on um, on the new putters they released. Mm -hmm. And it's like they had Clay Long, who's a, a known guy mm -hmm. in putting. Right. They, he, they had his support designing it. You know how we found out about that? It wasn't their marketing. In fact, it might have been Clay Long who who said more than Wilson did about it. Yeah. It's like, what's the point of bringing a guy like this on if you're not going to celebrate it? That that is like marketing 101, I feel like. Well, and and I think um, even at the in the larger companies, right? A lot of people don't understand that. It, let's put it this way: look around the, your department at work whatever it is, my department and what I do at work, you know, I think there's 10 of us or something in, in our, you know, our immediate kind of group. And then, you know, we're part of a bigger organization, but, but in the end, sometimes marketing and getting your message out and all that boils down to whether or not certain people are, you know, doing a great job or not. Right. <laughs> and, and it's not always just a nameless sort of faceless entity, right. You know, X company's marketing department, you know, their marketing department, I'll give you a good example of a great one. That's not very big. Josh brings it up a lot. Um, Srixon, uh, Noel at Srixon, you know, uh, that's, that's not a huge marketing department but they do a great job of getting their message out there i think at least so, um, to media so and that triples down on the idea that it's 2023 and exposure at this point is so easy to come by mm -hmm. on uh, social platforms that you know if you I, I get not being on tiktok like so be it i'm not on stupid tiktok either uh, i What's that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's that that company that sponsors yeah. Ryan Reynolds' team, you know, Wrexham. <laughs> I never heard of that. It's <laughs> so old. No, I'm messing with you. It's um, like Instagram and and Twitter to me, and probably Facebook are three unbelievably easy and applicable sources for instant marketing. Uh, probably Twitter being the easiest because you can use characters rather than photos a little mm -hmm. bit harder on Facebook because it, it less likely to grab um, the idea that it's not on there. Like I, I was on Twitter a couple days ago laughing at some of the commentary from a national, uh, like a statewide fish and wildlife Twitter account who was messing around goof, uh, making jokes about different things. Like I would have, is from a state that I'll probably never visit. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're doing all this fun stuff and it's sort of creating awareness around the local species and having some fun with that. Uh, and then making comments to other people as a react to theirs that, you know, very witty. It felt very early on Wendy's Twitter, which sure, sure. You know, they're killing you. it. Yeah. Right. It's exposure for no good reason uh, from a company or a group, I suppose in this case that 
that I would have no interest in outside of being on Twitter wanting to be entertained. So the fact that golf companies can't at least get to that level is very, it has to be a, a personal thing, right? There's a lot of unentertaining people out in the world. But yeah, like, the, <laughs> but you're in marketing. Like, I know. And, and I have no yeah. idea what the structure is over there. I, I have absolutely no idea. Like for all I know, there's three guys in R&D, one guy selling to distributors and a couple mm -hmm. people making the product. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. But my thought is, if you can't get people excited before your product releases, why would people get excited after your product releases? Yeah, it, it, I think that um, a lot of companies will be asking, you know, or not a lot, but there will be companies that are asking themselves that same question in June, right? Where did we go wrong? <laughs> yeah, right. Or where yeah. did they go right that we can learn from? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you right now, and I, I haven't seen the product in hand there's a good chance i won't even touch it this year but i can tell you 100 percent. well stealth 2 just because of the you know the the looks and the story that they got out there and paradigm the story they got out there the massive amount of kind of social media and influencer hype that they threw out there with that that's how you do it yeah. today today mm -hmm. right i mean there's a reason why the face on the stealth and the stealth 2 is red there's a reason why the r11 was white there's a reason why the paradigm is blue right and it's not it's not because um you know they just want to decide that, that that that's what consumers like that year they need something that people see you know and, and can recognize so, makes it different it's interesting you say this and i had intended to wrap up well let's do a bonus okay. session here Cool. Um, someone, I can't remember who it was, uh, started a conversation on THP about the colors that companies use and mm -hmm. how off-putting it can be mm -hmm. um, and, and why companies have to choose a color. What's the deal with that was basically, it felt very Seinfeld, like, what's the deal? You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm looking at uh, this conversation, I'm like, well, let's think about how impactful color can be when i think about mizuno what's the first color you think of and why is it blue yeah right exactly. what when i think of where tailormade took off what's the color right now personally it's red right. um when they really took off it was white with yes. red accents uh callaway's done a really nice job with green for a long time and or, you know obviously expanding on that a bit but uh you can see the intent there for these companies to i'm uh, nike's another good example they revolt for a long time and then they went to that crazy looking blue which was incredible yeah there's there's a clear intent um and i think it makes a ton of sense i mean why do we all not just buy white gray and black golf shirts of course we want to have some color it we identify with some of that color right so it's it's an exciting component so where do you stand on that do you think that uh it's it's all, all nonsense, or do you think that uh, there's a good reason you want to see companies continue with it? Um, I mean, I I would say like from a personal just per preference perspective, like my favorite looking driver from like the Crown this year would be the uh, ZX5 or you know the ZX Mark II line, right? I like I like black. I like um, just real simple looks. I like how they accent the parts of it, and I, I suppose maybe second i'd say like that the aerojet just because um that would be like the opposite version of what i like right it's it's still like got the same colors and is like a neat kind of understated look but then it has a little bit more of the modern um design with the carbon but um i i'll tolerate odd looks i mean the hybrid in my bag has a giant swoosh that's neon um chartreuse or whatever you want to call it. I, like I feel like you're aging yourself talking about yeah. your hybrid right now. <laughs> it, it's the best hybrid that was ever made. The Nike Vapor Flex. I don't care what anybody says. Um, always will be too. But, um, I, you know, from a personal perspective, yeah, I'm not huge into color, but it would never stop me from from playing or buying anything. And I, I think that it's probably the single most genius marketing idea period ever i think the r1 or the r11 i guess that was the first one that came out i think um yeah because r9 was, was like a gray and black yeah yeah and then it was like r1 was later it had mm -hmm. like the funky yeah. soul or something r11 is the one yeah 
yeah i mean that that was it was amazing what what an amazing idea and they just ghost putter at the same time yeah yeah um so maybe the the conversation here is more about companies have found a pretty solid foothold when it has had success um you know and, and again somewhat some greater than others taylor made obviously being the outlier with white sure. uh you know when you see a red face it's taylor made mm-hmm. um but then i think about blue and i always think to mizuno first when i think of blue so there's a clear identity there and, and look at their logo of course it's blue yeah, but uh, then you you have the companies that are willing to stay more in a, a sim, uh, like a uniform lane. Like uh, Titleist is a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, always very attractive, uh, probably more stealthy than stealth oh, <laughs> looking man. drivers. That, right? that TSR yeah. series is just so damn good looking from top and bottom. Wow. So I, I feel like that like what's the deal sort of attitude? You you have to you have to get it. To, to at least a certain level, no different than uh, a company releasing a colored ball like the Volvic uh, of the mm-hmm. world, you know, that if that's their medium and, and then people latch on to it, why would you not celebrate it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can't, you can never dispute why a company do it. You just can't. <laughs> it works. That's why. I mean, you it can works. want to. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can want you, to. You can be oh, as cranky I, as you want, right? That's true. You really can. <laughs> uh, yes. So, so what do you think the bag's going to look like this year? Do you think Mizuno Iron's going to make an appearance or what? I really have no clue. I, I really don't. And I, um, I'm trying my hardest just not to get too fever-ish about the whole thing. It's not easy this time of year. Um, I, I'm sure I'll see a lot of equipment here in the next year. And I, and I hope I get a chance to kind of find something that, that works well. Um, is there is there one product with the exception of the JPX that we've already talked about that you're just unbelievably excited to hit based on everything you've read between what you've put out there and what uh, James and Dean have? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. The, uh, the Strix on irons, which I'm an admitted owner there. So I do want to, I do want to hit those. Um, Cobra Zero Jetline has me very interested. Uh, the Paradigm Fairway Wood is interesting to me because it's really shallow-faced. And then the Paradigm Irons are interesting to me because it seems like they're longer without killing a lot of spin, which I, mm-hmm. at the moment, am, am, am sort of on the lower end of the spin spectrum with irons. So um, a lot of it's really f- kind of, I think this might be a good fit for me type of stuff. Um and then, like you said, uh, 923 hot metals. Uh, there's like this world of irons out there that I feel like are going to give me a decent amount of distance over what I'm playing right now. You know, irons from eight years ago, nine years ago. So I mean, that's really exciting to me. I mean, it, it's intoxicating. Just yeah. Well, I mean, you read it and you get hyped up, but then you sit in the cold weather and <laughs> wait for something to happen. Yeah. Uh, and you notice, folks, he didn't say anything about hybrids. So we're going to have to work on Hawk with that a little bit, ripping that Nike out of his hands. <laughs> I'll I'll try anything, but there are just so many terrible hybrids out there. Yeah. So uh, you, you mentioned Paradigm Pharaoh Woods, and, and I'm here to tell you the ball speed off that is ridiculous. It, yeah. I, I was really shocked by that. Um, but I, I'm going to double down with you as well. When Strixon released their latest iron iteration, I actually put the ZX4 from the last release back in the bag the other day in the five iron. And it just reminded me how much I adore that thing. Now, we do need to get you back on fairly soon to talk about how much I dislike simulator uh, feedback. Oh, yeah, we were going to talk about <laughs> uh, that. And, and I know you've been having your own experiences. So let's let's yeah. save that for the next show. All Maybe right. we'll do it in cool. a couple weeks. Um right. But uh, yeah, it just it made me think about how how passionate I was about ZX4. Uh, I got a buddy locally who plays them and swears by them, so he's gonna be real mad when he finds out there's a new line coming that that look absolutely incredible. Um, I think it might be yeah. the, the best. I guess um, that ZX4 specifically, what the, what they were able to do with that iron in that line um, is is just amazing to me because that that's really not an iron that is 
uh, I guess, inherently designed to just fit in with the sweet no, and sexy it's not. thing. It, and they they managed to get pretty close. You have you have a hollow body profile that has a you have a hollow body profile that has a clear association with um, distance and power, yeah. but then they fit it into a line of precision, and it's ridiculous. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we'll be able to to uh, hit those here in the next couple months. I don't know. I'm going to try to be open. I'm going to try to be as open-minded as I can. Nice. Well, I want updates, uh, but let's get you back on a couple weeks. I really want to talk about simulator golf and your experiences because you're going through a pretty significant effort to to make improvements. So, Yeah, uh, let's do that. Yeah. I have a lot to say, for sure. Do okay. uh, you have any questions for me before we wrap up today? I do. I have one question for you. And I right. you surprised me last time, so I wrote this down. <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10, how triggered were you by J.J. Spawn's untucked um oh we're doing this are we shirt or whatever it was yeah the the full button up i just don't get it like i i know we're in hawaii blah 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 i don't get it man like the the tour has presentation yes. and, and maybe it doesn't work that like every other guy out there had form-fitting pants on as well and jj's got these baggy pants on with the untucked shirt I mean, it just looked yeah. it looks so out of place um I thought I it know. was a, um, I noticed it right away. And what I thought it was, was it was coming untucked. It almost looked like it started tucked. You know, there was kind of that line around the oh. waist, like that <laughs> looked like a guy whose shirt had just come untucked. Yeah. And, and I was kind of offended by that. Like just tuck her back in, you know, but then it's, it appeared that it was possibly on purpose. And then I noticed you were very upset about it. And so I, I wouldn't say very. I just, I don't, I don't understand it. Like I, I understand the hoodie argument I, I and I'm for it. I actually wore intentionally the last time I went out uh, and played golf, I wore a hoodie just to, to be like, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with this now. Yes. It was a Travis Matthew. It's absolutely sick. I love it, but whatever. So, you know, there, there are certain things I'm fully comfortable with the, the jogger movement. I totally get it. Um, but this whole untucked shirt, like to me, that's just, I feel like that's the last thing that should go. You know, I'd probably be more inclined to say, put these guys in shorts before I said, put these guys in untucked shirts. I just, I'm all 100% in on pants because I don't want to see on the Sopranos. They, did you remember this line from the Sopranos? He said, the Don doesn't wear shorts, you know, because like, so like if you're the boss, like you don't wear shorts because it kind of just makes you look. Like your bare legs are sticking out there and stuff. Well, that's I mean, I don't argument. mind seeing your bare legs or mine, I, you know, but you like, do not see my bare legs. If anyone plays golf with me, they should be thrilled <laughs> that I prefer to wear pants. Yeah. But from a, a professional standpoint, I think they look better in pants, but it's just that. That's I think it makes more sense. And I, I don't get the argument. Uh, and I, the only reason I said I'd be more inclined to see shorts is that was sort of to set the stage yes. of like, I don't want them in shorts, but I'd, make that concession first um and and actually i'll go i'll double down on that and say if they make the blade collar um inappropriate for tour golf i would put that ahead of shorts too okay, <laughs> like okay. If, we, if we took the blade collar out and replaced it with shorts i think i'd be a happier guy i think the wow. blade collar is a mockery <laughs> I, I love i love strong opinions so yeah <laughs> strong opinions while laughing are yes. the best opinions yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> by the way thanks for triggering me right before the show ends <laughs> i i laughed when i wrote it down i laughed yeah. when i wrote it down i'm so. glad you had to write that down so you wouldn't yes. forget it you absolute bully well hey man it was All super right. fun chatting yeah. about uh what we did as usual, the list barely got clicked off. So let's have you back on a couple of weeks. I really want to talk simulator golf, your experiences yes. as you move through it. And it might be better, honestly, because you get to the end of January and early February, you're getting a little bit hyped up about playing. You might triple down on not to mention, I'm sure you'll have some deeper results. So, yeah. And, you know, you just never know um, what we'll have to talk about here in a couple. Weeks. Yeah. Maybe a couple weeks after that, we'll get together. So we'll yeah, see. Sure. Either way, uh, folks, I hope you enjoyed the chat today. I feel like a lot of people have really strong opinions about golf clubs and we're, we're trying to bring this uh, from the side of experiencing it in the same way you do, but also supporting the idea that technology is constantly in changing and improving um, and to try and keep your mind open, like hit everything before you really go full in on blasting or celebrating. Um, 
and, and I'm sure a lot of you will have an opportunity to go out and hit on your own, whether it's in the simulator or if you're in a state that doesn't suck, uh, <laughs> you know, out on an open range. Let us know. We'll have a conversation going on the THP forums. Uh, and as always, we will catch you next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.